John chapter 13. I'm pretty sure that, that many of you have seen this, right? Social media, whatever it is, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, hashtag blessed. And typically it comes with a picture of something or someone in which the individual posting it is, is blessed by, right? You know, could be maybe your family, right? Could be your friends or maybe it's a new job you just got or whatever it is. Many, many times, uh, especially I told, I told you about the Preachers and Sneakers book, those guys, the big mega pastors, were hashtag blessed, and they had a lot of bling that they were showing, uh, usually a fancy car, a new, new suit or something like that. So they were showing blessing through material means. Kind of makes us wonder, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to, to live a life that is blessed by God? Is there a certain information that we can gather, that we can study to understand what that looks like? Certain keys that we can follow so that we live a life that is blessed by God. There's an article on a Christian website, uh, and actually is titled, uh, Things Christians Must Do to Be Blessed by God. Here's number one, keep His commandments. He loves to bless those who obey Him. Number two, honor mom and dad. Doesn't make sense because if you're doing number one, right? Number two is kind of in there, so I don't know. Maybe they doubled up on that one because they realize how difficult it is. Number three, just ask God for it, right? There you go. Hey, Lord, bless me. Kind of reminds me of the prayer of Jabez. You guys remember that book? Expand my territory, Lord. Give me things, you know, bless me. Number four, you could be a blessing to others, and you will, that's that kind of reciprocal idea. Number five, which I'm really glad they included this one because I got a little nervous, simply be in Christ. So, right, they, they actually add Jesus into that whole idea. Some other people have, have other ideas of, of what, it means to be, uh, what it means to be blessed. This individual got this in the mail. On the letter, it says, use this to be blessed. Use this and you'll be blessed. And what it is, is a little hanky. It's a very special hanky, though, because you do have to do some things with this hanky. You have to write people's names on it, and then you have to put this hanky over the passage in the book of Acts where Paul's handkerchief was a blessing to others. What's kind of funny about that is because usually you're using a hanky and people are saying, bless you. No, no, no. It's this one the actual hanky is going to bless you if you follow the rules appropriately. So how, how, how many people in here would like to live a, a life that's blessed by God? Raise your hand. Okay, maybe not. Okay, just give me $5, and I'll, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to take $5 from you. I would if you want to give me $5, and then I'll preach the sermon. Well, thankfully, thankfully, we don't need to search the Internet, and we definitely don't need to get special hankies in the mail because... One of the most important things that Jesus wants us to realize is that he wants us to live a life that's blessed by God. It actually should be our goal. should be our goal as Christians to live a life that has the applause of heaven, has the approval from heaven, a life that God smiles down upon. Isn't that a good, good goal in life as a Christian? Jesus wants his disciples and us to be blessed. 
as we live out our mission here on earth. And here, he tells us some important keys uh, to the blessing, really two components, but I've broken them down into four that you and I are going to look at today. So hopefully at the end of this, we can understand what hashtag blessed is all about. The first, the first key is if we want to have God's blessing in our life, it's important to know, right? To know some things, specifically here, know what we ought to do, verses 12 through 15. So, when Jesus had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. There are certain things in life that are just common knowledge, right? Everyone agrees with that. We call it common sense, common knowledge. Uh, one of those things uh, that even the legal establishment thinks is common knowledge is the risk of falling. Uh, so it says here, the risk of falling is very obvious. It is so obvious that it has become an established part of the legal system. In a recent civil case, an appeals court dismissed a complaint filed by a college student who had fallen off of their bunk bed. The basis for the case was that the institution, the college, neglected to include a notice concerning the risk and danger from falling from said bunk bed, even though the bunk bed did not have any, have any rails. The court held that the student who had slept in the bed for three months now had equal knowledge that the lofted bed was raised off the ground and lacked guardrails before they, thought they had fallen. The judge concluded with this phrase, and significantly, we have repeatedly held that there is no danger more commonly known or risk appreciated than that of falling. So everyone agrees, everyone knows, you sleep on a bunk bed, you're, you're going to fall. That is common knowledge. Of course, we're dealing with college students, so Maybe not common knowledge for certain common stu college students. What, what is not sometimes known for people? God's will, right? That's one of those things where we kind of sometimes, I don't know. And usually we associate God's will with what? Where we're going to do for a job, maybe who we're going to marry, where, where, where we're going to live, you know, what, what is our calling? And we're constantly searching for God's will. Well, we can be we can be relieved today because Jesus is going to tell you God's will. As a matter of fact, he just does that. And he not, not only tells us what we ought to do, he tells us why we should do it. He begins, he begins this section, and he says something really, really important. And it's something we need to reflect on. Do you guys understand? Do you know what I just did? Understanding and knowledge is the first part of doing God's will and then, of course, leading to the blessing, isn't it? I want to step back, because as we, we go through this gospel, right, I hope, myself included, we understand what Jesus is saying to us. 
that we understand everything, even up into this point, not just this passage here today. Because He wants us to know. It's part of discipleship. He's discipling them. He says to them, look, do you you get, do you understand what I just did? And then I love what He does here. He kind of just uses logic uh, to explain that. But the question for us is, do you and I know? Do you and I see what Jesus is saying by what he is doing? And again, if we look at where this falls in the upper room discourse, this is right before he's going to die, right before he's going to send them out into the world. This lays the groundwork for discipleship. What Jesus is doing in the foot washing really should encompass everything it means to be a disciple of his. Everything. No matter where we find ourselves in our lives, this idea, this attitude, this imitation of him needs to be involved in everything and everyone, every part of who we are. He lays the groundwork for the discipleship, and here we see that it is an attitude of humility, love, and service. Do you know what God's will is for your life? He wants you to wash people's feet. There you go. Yay, right? We're all happy now. Rejoice, you know God's will for your life. His revealed will for your life. Now, we're going to talk about the ought part because it's not mandatory, but it's, it's an obligation. He wants you to follow this pattern And before Peter can ask why, he gives the reasons, right? Because you know you tell someone to do something or they ought to do something, you go, why? 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 Well, Jesus says so. He says, look, you guys call me these titles. You call me a Lord and you call me a teacher. And you're right. I am those things. If me being in this position, both of teacher and of Lord or master, am higher than you, and I stoop below you to serve you, what do you think you ought to do? Do you, think, do, you, do you think that you're above what I am doing here? Do you think you should probably do this? If you call me teacher, let me teach you something. Let me tell you something. This is what it means to be a disciple of mine. This should characterize your life as a Christian. Foot washing here is a pattern of life, a pattern of self-abasement, humility, love, and service. That's what you and I are called to do. He uses the word ought. It's not mandatory, but it's not voluntary either. It's kind of like when Paul says, oh, nothing except the debt of love, right? We owe It's a continuous debt. It's a continuous obligation that should define us, that we are to not use our positions of authority or wherever we are at to crush those, but to serve those. Again, Jesus uses logic. If I did this, you ought to do this because of who I am. To wash one another's feet, means to serve one another in humble love, 
And he speaks to first everyone here, which is easier or harder to serve those that we know. It's probably harder, right? Because you're looking at the person next to you, you're like, man, your feet reek. You have the dirtiest feet in the world. I am not going to touch your feet. It's harder to serve. It's harder to love. It's harder to wash one another's feet and to do so in a humble fashion with people whose feet we see all the time. And we see how dirty they are. And we can say, I don't know if you're deserving of a foot wash right now. Why don't you go see brother so-and-so? Maybe they'll do it. Or sister so-and-so. They'll, they'll go ahead and wash your feet for you. And it's harder. And that's why he's saying it's beginning, it begins here. It begins within the church. And then it goes outward into the world. So we can agree with that theoretically, right? This is all, oh, yeah, amen. We're supposed to wash people's feet. Yay. What does that look like? Well, practically, what does Jesus do here? He steps up and he fills a position that no one was filling. That's what he does. Practically speaking, and I think he waited because in the, we, we said when they first came to the, the meal, the, the, the servant girl would wash the feet. But she, she didn't do it or he didn't do it. Servant girl or guy would wash the feet. No one was there to do it. Jesus was allowing his disciples to possibly do it. They didn't. They're not going to do it. So Jesus just steps up and fills a position, practically. And it's a, it's a benefit. It's a benefit to them physically and spiritually. It's a blessing to his disciples physically and spiritually. So maybe, maybe we need to step up and fill a position that is going to bless those within the church. Nursery that no one wants to do. So maybe we just fill, fill something. I don't know what it is, but it's a, it's a service in humility too. We're not walking by something and saying, oh, that's for someone else to do. We're doing it, and we're doing it out of love and service for someone else, and it's not something that is always seen, is it? And it doesn't have to be extravagant. I think sometimes we think of service as something that's like, oh, all this wonderful thing, you know, we got to be whatever it is. It can be something extremely simple. That's what he calls us to do. But it's for one another. It's intentional, and it's out of love for one another. And it provides that service. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but there, there is there's a ministry that is, I, I consider, on, definitely one of the most encouraging ministries that someone has rendered to me on a, on a daily basis, not daily, but on a consistent basis. You know what it is? I receive cards. I get cards from a certain family in the mail from a certain individual every once in a while for me and my family, and it, it always comes at just the right time. It always says just the right things I needed to hear at that moment. That's what this looks like. It could be picking up the phone. Maybe talking to someone that you don't know. And saying, hey, I'm thinking about you this week. Is there anything I can pray for? It could be bringing a meal to someone. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It is a stepping aside of ourself, maybe our agenda or what we think we want to be doing, 
and serving those humbly and sacrificially in the church. It's a life of self-denial, and it falls at the beginning of their commission, at the start of it. This is what your job looks like. This is what your mission looks like. When I, I think I mentioned this before, when I graduated uh, the Bible college, you know, you're all excited. You're going to get your diploma, you're in that cap and gown. You, you look pretty spiffy. You know, everyone can look spiffy in a cap and gown. And you're, you got your little thing on and you're ready, you're walking up the aisle and you're so proud of yourself and you're like, man, I'm going to do some great things for the Lord. I can't wait. Right? And they, I go up there and I'm all excited they have that diploma, and they, they give you that diploma. And you know what they gave me with the diploma? So you're holding a diploma in one hand, they give you a towel. And you're looking at the diploma, you're looking at the towel, and you're like, oh, yeah. That's what this is about. I may know a lot. I may have the knowledge. The question is, Am I going to use the towel? Because that's what ministry is. Brings us to our next point. Do what you already know. Verses 16 through 17. Someone's going to use a towel to wipe the sweat off of my face right now. Because it is hot. All right. 16 through 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus gets their attention. We've talked about this before. What's he say? Truly, truly. Real important, right? He's speaking to the truthfulness, but also the importance of what he's going to say. He's saying, look, if you guys hear anything right now, understand uh, what I am telling you. He then switches titles and also gives titles to his disciples. Master and servant and sender and sendee or the one sent. And here we begin to see that whole idea of commission and calling. Commission and calling. Jesus is the master. They are the servants. Does, does everyone, can everyone agree with that, right? Does anyone think they're greater than Jesus? Okay, because if you do, then you don't, we need to talk after church. If we think, now we say that theoretically, right, but do we live it out? Because I think many, many times we actually think, oh, that was for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus did that ministry. That's not, my, that's not my calling in life. And therefore, we're kind of saying to ourselves, ah, a little better than Jesus. Jesus says, no, look, understand this. Understand this reality. So here, he says pattern earlier. Pattern is something, you remember drawing the, the, the lines over the letters in school? You had to follow that pattern, right? That tracing. That's what he's talking about. So the imitation leads to the obligation and then the condition for the blessing. Imitation brings about the obligation because Jesus did it. So if we're to imitate him, then you ought to do the same thing in the same manner, which is the condition in order to receive the blessing. Two conditions here that he states for the blessing. The first condition is the knowledge part. The second condition is the doing. 
if you know these things, then go ahead and do them. And when you do them, you're going to be blessed. Guess what? Both conditions are not the same force. It should kind of read maybe since you know these things. Since you, you know them. He just told you, right? You know, now that you know these things, now that the knowledge is a reality, go ahead and do them. The knowing is a reality. The doing is, guess what? Doubtful. It's doubtful. And it's the doing that actually leads to living a life that is blessed by God. The knowing is there, but the doing is, ah, eh, maybe not. We often want God's blessings in our, in our life. And sometimes we're just continually seeking knowledge on, on, on that. Well, well, guess what? God just wants us to do what we already know. Specifically here, serving each other in in humble love, right? We know a ton, don't we? We know a lot. In his book, When a Nation Forgets God, Erwin Lutzer retells one Christian story of living in Hitler's Germany. The man wrote this, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church. Each Sunday morning, we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that train was carrying Jews like cattle in their cars. He said, week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed. No one talks about it. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me, forgive all of us, he says, who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing. Do you think they knew? Do you think they knew what they ought to have done? I wonder what the sermon was that day. Was the sermon on loving your neighbor? Was the sermon on Jesus' sacrificial love? Was the sermon on doing justice and loving mercy? Who knows? They do. We know a lot. 
What are we doing with that knowledge? I kind of broke this down for us, just to kind of, this is called Dave, sorry, I've used Dave like three times in a row in my sermons. This is called the Dave degree. And I, I just want to put this in their perspective. Now, this is for those who have been underneath, who were blessed by Dave's teaching for 27 years that he preached. So let's just say you were there for 27 years. Okay. Many of us weren't. I was not, but you can break it up, okay? So let's look. I broke it down, and this is just as Sundays only, because I think and originally he was preaching Sunday, Wednesday night, Sunday night, I don't know. He was preaching in his sleep all the time, preaching all the time. This is 1,200 weeks. It works out to be 1,200 weeks. I, I minus vacations and stuff like that, times 40 minutes. If Dave was faithful to stick to his 40 minutes, which much better than I do, which we may go over today. So 40 minutes, it equals 48,000 minutes of instruction, of teaching and, and appeal and encouragement and and telling you all about God's will, right? I'm showing my work, by the way, for math, right? This is, I ha actually had Lynn check my work in math because I was like, I don't even know if this is right. Am I choosing the right numbers? 48,000 divided by 60 equals 800 hours. Now, if you've broken that down into the normal bachelor degree, which is 120 hours, you actually have earned 6.7 Dave degrees. Congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. Six times, congratulations, you're tossing that hat in the air. That, my friends, is a lot of knowledge, isn't it? What are we doing with it? We can sit all day long, and this doesn't include podcasts. This doesn't include books, other sermons, Bible studies. We are filled with knowledge, but are we putting that knowledge into use? Are we serving people? Are we taking what we hear, myself included, what I preach every week? Am I taking it and am I applying it to my life? And in this case, serving others in humility and loving them. It's a ton of knowledge. Where are we at with the action? Because that's, what the bless, that's where the blessing comes in. Isn't it? That's the life. The life that is approved. The life that is, has the applause of heaven is a life that takes what it knows here, what Jesus did, imitating him in humble service, in love for one another, washing one another's feet, and doing that as a lifestyle. And trust me, I've been trying to preach this to myself all week. Because you can forget when you're in positions like this. This is what it's about. This is what the Christian life looks like. We know it. Are we going to do it? The context of this passage has, has uh, other parallels. When Jesus is talking to the, the, the servant... And he talks about the, the, the servant who knew his master's will but didn't do it. And then the servant who knew his master's will and did it. We're going to be accountable 
for all the information we have. We're going to be accountable for the gifts that we're giving. God have mercy on us all. Next point. Know what to expect before we do. Verses 18 through 19. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the Scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am He. This kind of seems out of place. Why is he saying this right now? But if we're to break this passage up into two parts, um, and the first part is the imitation part of what Jesus did that we are to follow, the second part we can say there's an imitation in what is done to him. Or we can actually say the results of the ministry. Um, so, so either way, you can kind of see what's happening here and what he's really preparing his disciples for. In the year 1900, there was a German chocolate company that released 12 postcards predicting what life would be like 100 years in the future. These are two of those postcards. Um, so, how close did they get? Well, uh, some of the postcards, one uh, consisted of personal airships. There were couples flying around in their personal hot air balloons. That'd be fun, right? Except on a windy day. Not sure. And then you had people, like in this picture, strolling on the lake. <laughs> of course, they're in their Sunday best, right? Because there's, the clothes haven't changed. <laughs> Over a thousand years, there's, they're still wearing the same outfits, Right? And they're strolling on the lake, they got their hot air balloons, and the wind is blowing, and, and that guy's got that little, that little wheel thing, and he's pushing water. Can you imagine doing that on a windy day on Sebago? Everyone would be dead. Okay, there would be no pictures. All right, so how about watching a live drama performance while not in theater? Oh, you mean television. Yay, they got that right. There's an x-ray machine for police officers to detect crimes in buildings when in progress. So that was what they thought. Who's going to man the the uh, little machine all day. There was a roofed city, kind of like a football stadium, where you can live underneath a dome. Underwater ships for tourists. You can travel like on a carnival or Norwegian cruise in a submarine. Easy excursions to the North Pole. And then here, a weather machine, right? I'm sure Maine would have invested in a weather machine if there was definitely a weather machine. Well, they, they maybe got one right, right? I was just saying to someone the other day, I said, it would be great to know part of the future, right? When you're making decisions, especially when you're making decisions. Um, I, that is one of the things I actually dread. You're going to hear a little confession. I dread that in this position. I hate making decisions because I wish I could see how my decisions are going to affect people. And I'd be like, okay, am I, I'll weigh that cost right there. Yeah, that's okay. There are only, only five people got upset with me on that one. I, I think I'll go with the odds on this one. You know, and then, oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, the church split. Oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not make that decision, right? So I was just saying how great it would be to have this, this crystal ball and understand what's going to happen, right? You remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? I love those books, right? Because you could, 
you pick a door and you're like, oh, you just fell, you fell to your death. Oh, okay, I go back. And then I choose the door where I don't fall to my death anymore. Well, Jesus is giving us, he's giving his disciples a head up about something, and, and a heads up about something. And Jesus' predictions, guess what? Spot on all the time. He wants them to know something because he started using that word send, right? Sent. So they're beginning to hear a calling. They're understanding, oh, we're going to follow in his footsteps. He's going to send us on a mission. Now, when they see this betrayal happen, what do you think is going to go through their minds? Whoa, wait a second. Are we still sent? Is the mission done? Is it all over with? Are we finished? And then they're going to turn around. He lets them know in advance. He tells them what's going to happen and prepares them for it so that they don't lose heart and so that their faith in him is strengthened. Now, if we pull that principle out, right, we can honestly say and, and know that Jesus is letting us know that, guess what? When I send you out, when you, you're sent to do these things, you are going to face trouble. And sometimes that trouble is going to come from within your own flock. He uses a quotation from Psalm 41.9. And the quotation is when David is betrayed by his friend. He said, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who I ate my bread, he has lifted his heel against me. He's turned against me. But wait, we have to keep that in its context because later on, just two verses after that, David says this, yet I know you are pleased with me. And of course, God is pleased with Jesus because my enemy does not triumph over me. Faith. Understanding that when you and I go forth, when you and I do what we're called to do, when we're serving each other humbly, guess what? Someone may throw that service back in your face. Is that going to want to make you stop? Sure. You're washing your brother or sister's feet. You're giving to them. You're pouring your life out to them. They're friends with you. And all of a sudden they turn. You're going to be like, I'm going to throw in that towel. I'm done with this. He wants us to know what to expect before we go ahead and do. He's preparing us. He's preparing his disciples. He doesn't want them to be afraid when they see this betrayal happen from someone they were fellowshipping with. This type of service, this type of love, this type of calling is not easy. And there are going to be many, many, many times where we just want to give up. We just want to stop. And we feel like people that we're serving just aren't, they, they just are taking more and more and more and more. We can't. It's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Later on, Paul's going to say something kind of similar in Philippians about preaching the gospel. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, because this is a sign 
to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, and that by God. That gives us a heads up. But also, you're going to see that as you serve, some are going to reject. And also, on the flip side of that, some are going to accept. And just the way the same things that are happening to Jesus are going to happen to us, we need to remember that He sent us when we go out and do. He's the one who has commissioned us to go forth. Verse 20, as we finish up here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me, him who sent me. There was a girl named Shandell Riley. Uh, she was stopped outside the home of her ex-mother-in-law uh, at a late night for a traffic infraction. Uh, not quite sure. She possibly might have prayed for deliverance. People tend to pray when they get pulled over by cops. Uh, but surely she didn't expect what happened to her neck. So Deputy Daniel Wilkie found marijuana during the traffic stop. And as he's talking to her, he, was, he told her that God was speaking to him. <laughs> now, if you're her and if you're high too, you're getting a little nervous at this point, right? You got, you got a cop telling you that, hey, God's talking to me. And he said, so he said, in addition to citing her for possession of controlled substance, he said she won't go to jail if she agreed to be baptized. Okay. Not by a pastor at a local church, but by Wilkie himself. He was ready to, to do the honors. Uh, so at his prodding, she went inside to get some towels and said, I guess I'm fixing to go get baptized. They drove to nearby Lake Soddy where Wilkie baptized Riley, who remained fully clothed as she was submerged in the water. Another deputy, Jacob Goforth, he should have went forth and did something about it, but witnessed the event and recorded footage on his phone. So a lawsuit actually happened because of this. Uh, this is how the judge concludes uh, at the end of this. No government interest is furthered by the baptism of a detainee by an on-duty law enforcement officer. So two things of what, what we see here. Number one, right, that is not the way that we are to make converts in this world. So let's just get it real clear. Don't use your authority. He used his earthly authority to force this. And now, do you think that girl's going to, you know, think about Christianity the next, you know, next time someone invites her to go to a church? Oh, there will be a baptism today. She's going to have like PTSD, just gets all stressed out, just remember that night. That, that's not the way that you and I are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, because that's what he kind of is saying here, isn't he? We are the ones who are to represent him, and we are not to force people into believing in Jesus Christ or forcing them to be baptized. It actually says, so some are going to reject and some are going to receive him. Some are going to receive him when we go forth in the same fashion that he went forth not using and abusing the authority that we've been given because we've been given a much, much greater authority. And that is also part of what he is trying to encourage his disciples after they see what happens. What Judas is going to do, guess what? It doesn't mess up the plan at all. 
As a matter of fact, it's all part of it. Jesus sends Judas to go ahead and betray him because it's putting everything into motion. And Jesus wants them to see their connection to his mission, that what it is is a continuation of his ministry. And the same power and the same authority and the same control and sovereignty that is over Jesus, that is with Jesus, is going to be with who? His disciples. He's giving them confidence. Later on, he's going to say this uh, definitely more directly in Matthew 28, when he says to them, look, and he, he prefaces their calling, their commission with, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go ahead. Go make disciples. Go do this in the fashion, in the pattern that I have shown you. And when you do, some people are going to reject. Some from within your own flock, but others are going to receive. We know, don't we? After today, I hope that you can say, you know. The question is, are we going to do it? Because you and I are going to enjoy a life that is blessed by God. When we do, what well, we already know with regards to our calling. It's not glamorous. Not everyone's going to see it. It's actually a life filled of humble service. It's a life that forgets me and puts everyone else first. It's a life that follows in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior following the pattern that He has left for us washing the feet of those around us. It's a, it's a life, and in, in when we are doing what we already know to do, that that's when we will grow in Him and be blessed by Him. Jesus wants to make sure that you and I understand that. And at the end of it, those are the words, right? Serving here, loving here, leads to those words there. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of our master, of your master. Jesus, just like when I graduated, he doesn't give them a special hanky for blessing, does he? But he does give them a towel. And the dirtier, the better. Father, this is a hard one. It hits us right where we live, Lord. 
We just thank you for having the grace and the mercy and patience with us because we need it. I need it. We often fall short of this pattern. I know that I do. Help us really to hear what you are saying to us today. Help us to look around and, and look for opportunities to apply this practically. Lord, and when we get off our mission, when we lose focus, bring us back gently to this truth. Lord, help all of us in this church to get our towels really, really dirty. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.